My name is Barb Newman, and uh, I work for an organization called CLC Network. Uh, I am a consultant for them. I also uh, am the director of church services, but today I am very much uh, also with that contract placed as a special education teacher at Zealand Christian School. And this is my cohort in crime, Stacy Peters. Uh, and uh, we are just thrilled to be here today. CLC Network, how many of you are at a school that's partnered with CLC Network that you know for sure, that you're one of the network schools? Uh, and then, um, you know, we have several of them, but also uh, it's, a, it's a great fun thing to think about having some support when it comes to how do we do this well. And uh, so what we want to give you today is very much uh, the Zealand Christian version of what it looks like there and some things that we've learned uh, since 1989. Who here was not even born in 1989? Yeah, I know. Uh, that is the year that I started at Zealand Christian School. And um, Stacy joined up a few years after that, but um, we have just had a delightful time. So I'm still involved in the inclusion program there, and Stacy has taken on a giant role of being the director of our support services at Zealand Christian. So her arms cover a huge variety of things. Um, Zealand Christian staff, who is here, just raise your hand a minute. We have a few from Zealand Christian. So good. So if you actually you know, want even more information, those are some good people to ask as well. So We just wanted to put together some things, maybe some tools we haven't discovered yet, uh, maybe some ideas uh, that will be fresh. But I have to admit that even though I can say since 1989 that Stacy and I were putting this together, we're like, oh my word, we totally need to look at that all over again. So who here would say, I'm at a school that's been doing inclusion for a lot of years? Raise your hand if that's your school. Yeah. And who here is at a school for whom this is sort of new? All right. Uh, somewhere in the middle, because a lot of hands haven't gone up yet. All right. A brand new, and you're just checking out this idea? Are there any in that category? Well, we're hoping that everybody leaves here with some thoughts to think about and some new ideas to try. So, just wanted to start so that we can agree on this word, inclusive education. And I think the easiest way to do that is to just give a brief history. And so, I will just say that if you were born with a disability many years ago, there's a good chance you weren't going to make it uh, for lots of reasons. Um, the society didn't have the medical advances. Uh, it was looked at as a shameful experience to a family, so you might have just gotten left in the field. Uh, but it was a pretty weak survival rate for individuals with disabilities many, many years ago. But that has uh, changed, and my dad, back in the 1920s, was in Tainter, Iowa. He was a student there. Uh, anybody here know of Tainter, Iowa? It's one of those towns that, like, if you blink, it's gone as you're passing through it. But they did have a two-room schoolhouse. My dad recalls going to school with somebody named Mike. Didn't know Mike really well, except that when they were doing, like, academics, Mike had a folder or a notebook, something different that he was doing during that time. But everybody loved it. If Mike was part of their ball team, he was a great ball player uh, during whatever breaks or recess or whatever they called it in 1929. Uh, but Mike was just part of that teacher public school. And I think that was pretty typical. Uh, towns could make up their own decision about who was involved in that school, and Mike clearly was a part of it. But Dan remembers this next phase, too, which we'll just call institutions. In the Iowa area at this place, it was called a poor farm. Uh, and Dad clearly remembers the day that Mike went to live at the poor farm, and he didn't come back to school. Uh, and uh, it was interesting. I, I know that there must have been some good ones, but there were also some very, very terrible institutions. Uh, people would have things happen to them that are almost unimaginable, uh, because I don't think they were viewed as people. But the idea was, let's take people with disabilities and move them away from society into a different place. Uh, and we'll put some care staff in those places. So I was at Calvin College uh, in the 1980s, and I put myself through college, partly uh, with working at a group home. And I will never forget Louise. Louise was the woman who was in the group home. She had no words to speak. Uh, but she also had zero hair anywhere on her body. Not here, not on her arms, no eyebrows. She had no hair. And I asked the supervisor about that once, and she said, 
Louise was part of an institution in Michigan. And at this institution, the doctors would routinely come in with medication A and medication B. And they would give this to people to see what the side effects were. So Louise took a chemotherapy drug. She didn't have cancer. The side effect was that your hair falls out and it stays out and it didn't grow back in. So they chose not to release this chemotherapy drug on the market. Can you even believe it? So that was Louise. Now no hair because she was selected in this institution to be a guinea pig for that experiment. So uh, yeah, that's a it's a big deal and. Geraldo Rivera and a few others went into some of these places and discovered what types of uh, horrific things were happening and they all closed down. Plus, people were starting to hear, you know, the 70s was all about the rights that people have. And so what ended up happening is that people that had been placed in institutions now went to sort of these separate schools. And pretty much every county has one. You know, if you're biased, Ottawa Area Center or Lincoln School, all places uh, came to be in about the late 1970s when they shut down all of these institutions. The Christian Learning Center, CLC, actually was a center at that time. The Children's Retreat at Pine West closed down. Parents said, we still want Christian education for our children, and so that's where, um, you know, they formed this uh, school within a school. And uh, that indeed, uh, separate schools, many of them still exist, and many of them have been renovated within the last 15 years or so because they were all at about the same time uh, when kids would go back to live at home but went to school. Then um, school within a school. This was very common. You sort of have these three rooms. I know that's when I started teaching back in 1985 for the Christian Learning Center. I had my group of eight students who happened to have disabilities and then we would function within this Christian school in Grand Rapids. It was called Seymour at the time. So, um, you know, that was, that was one thing. But these were clearly, as a special ed teacher, these were my kids. They were my students, my class, my Christmas party. All of that was true. Uh, but then they came up with this idea called mainstreaming, which is still very popular today. But here's the thing. I was pretty excited about this. They were still all my kids. And I would run around the building and I'd make deals with people. Hey, preschool teacher, do you think that, uh, you know, AD could come and be part of your preschool room during free play time? Oh, good. And then I go to the PE teacher, you know, Joaquin's pretty good in PE. Could he be part of your group for our PE? But the reality was, these were my students. And I knew this on the day that things didn't go swimmingly. Uh, and then, then you get the call or the beep through the intercom, you need to go get your student from PE or from preschool, okay? So I owned those students that were on my caseload. I think that that's a big difference between the word mainstreaming and inclusion. In an inclusion program, Tom Jostra at Zealand Christian, he owns those kids that are in fourth grade. They belong to him. He's the fourth grade teacher, right? I'm there to support. I'm there to help. But very much, that student is part of his room. And this was made very clear to me uh, one day when I was still sort of operating in the mainstream mode. I mean, in 1989, not too many people were doing inclusion. We had to figure it out. We'd all have these experiences and run down to the teacher's office and say, what are we doing? We, say, we don't know, but we'll figure it out. So that was the plan. But one of the, one of the interesting things happened when John fell on the playground. And Mr. Sneller was his teacher at the time. And Mr. Sneller, uh, uh, I saw John bleeding. We walked in by two peers. And I had my arms out like this, ready to help John because he got hurt on the playground. They walked right past me and into the arms of Mr. Sneller because that was their teacher. He owned that situation. Does that make sense? And we soon learned that nothing works very well if you don't purposefully work on friendships. So you want to focus on how can we form relationships, peer relationships within the middle of a classroom. So ownership, friendship, those are big things. I'd like you to take a minute. Uh, I'm going to go through some ideas from the staff at Zealand Christian, but if you had to take a stab at writing a definition of inclusive education, what would it be like? Maybe you could write it somewhere in front of you. I know we were to submit handouts to some electronic site. Did you get that? We got one on there, CEA teachers or whatever. So there is a handout if you want to pull it out. Um, but would you just take a stab at that? What would be your thoughts about uh, a definition of inclusive education? In fact, maybe it would be easier if you talk to the person next to you for a couple of minutes to digest that. If you had to think of a definition for inclusive education, what would it be? Just take one minute. Ready, set, go. <clears throat> Tell us, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>
to what you were thinking about. Pretty close? Talk to the person next to you. Did you like some of those? Would you adopt those? How close is it? One minute. Ready, set, go.
we don't have programs here for you. And I hear those stories and I think, wow, who loses? Who loses? Who do you think? Everybody. <coughs> I sure think everyone does, because this individual doesn't get you. He doesn't get the amazing part of being part of that school, but so did everybody else. Because that gift that God had intended to arrange to grow us, he just sent that one away. What a wonderful thing. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. But I do need you. And we need to be together. And it's not always easy. But it's right. I like that saying. <coughs> and I would suggest, and then Stacy's going to take over for a while, we need to get this information to lots of different people. Stories come out of schools, right? Stories get into the community. We should decide which stories get out into the community. We should make some of those decisions. When you call that uh, newspaper in to do a story on something amazing that is happening uh, within your community, what about with the board? Boards don't stay the same. We, we're struck with this all the time. How do you continue to educate new board members? I was just in uh, Washington State. Uh, actually, I was just there yesterday. This has been an interesting week, but I uh, had heard from uh, a superintendent of a school there that they have a board member that said this. You know what? I do not understand why everybody pays the same amount of tuition. Why am I subsidizing that child's tuition by paying more money? And I looked at that man and I thought, guess what? This is the part they need to go back to. This board member does not understand something. And I looked at him and I said, what I really think you need to say uh, is, you know what? I have watched your son when he's with Jordan. And I have watched your son's heart grow, his character formed. And I have seen a young man who is growing into somebody truly amazing. So I'm deciding to charge you more tuition because you're actually getting more out of this deal than this other child. It comes from living in community. And the presence of each one is important. Inclusion is not about one. Inclusion is about the entire community and what happens there when that person is part of it. What information does the staff need? Is everybody like-minded? It's important to get together as a staff and talk about it, right? Um, Tom, Lisa, and Brittany, it was good to have that staff day when we sat around those tables and remembered together. Tom and I started at Zealand Christian at the same time. We've been doing this a very long time. But you forget some stuff, and you need to encourage each other. So talk about it. Have some people come up with those definitions. It was a great day. Parents, what information goes home to parents when the school year starts? Do you have a child who may have some unique behaviors, and have you equipped those parents to understand what's happening in a, in a puzzle piece perspective kind of way? Uh, you know, our gift to our classroom this year, we're going to be able to grow because of. I think that's important. Peers need information. Stacey's going to talk a lot more about that. And many times a student with a disability needs information. How do we function in this place? We just started a whole raft of new little four and five-year-olds, and they need a lot of information about how to do school. Uh, and they're getting a lot of education from peers and lots of others. But we need to think, what information does this person need? So uh, with scripture and with just the basic understanding of inclusion and what it looks like, I think we have to be ready to inform and tell stories and be there quickly to catch those people when we, uh, you know, Tom would come up to me and say, you know, you're a student. I would want to say, whoa, 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 I know this is your student, Tom. How can I help you? Right? Those kinds of things. So that we keep that puzzle piece perspective fresh and inclusion fresh. Make sense? What's one takeaway you got from what I just said? I stay safe now, you're switching places. <clears throat> Go ahead and talk to the person next to me.
informed and um, getting them the information that they need. Um, so one of the most important things is that communication. Um, communication with all of those um, individuals that are at Touch Face Hub, um, within the team of people that are supporting that student. So what are the students' goals? How are we going to respond in this situation? Um, what does their plan look like for the day-to-day, -day, right? How are the assistants going to support the classroom teacher? What is the classroom teacher going to do to support the assistants, right? All of that communication and um, thinking about the parents being a part of that team as well. And um, so within the team, um, we have found that most importantly is that communication. If you're not communicating with one another, it can quickly fall apart and can become a challenge. Um, but also educating and communicating with the peers. And so you can see the Circle of Friends manual up here as well. Um, that's from the CLC Network too. Um, but one of the things that we've just found is equipping those peers with that information, right? They're going to come up with their own ideas of what they're seeing or what they're hearing about the student and maybe what's going on. And so they're going to speculate and they're going to wonder. And we found that most importantly is giving them that information up front so that they can use the appropriate terminology so that they can understand what's going on. That maybe it's not just, you know, so-and-so being upset with them, but maybe they just didn't have the words to express them. Right? So if they can have that information up front, rather than trying to backpedal after something has happened, um, that is just crucial in those social situations for kids and understanding them in the classroom. When we can give them the information, it's almost like, oh yeah, okay, um, that makes sense. And now they're not as afraid to step in and to step in and help or encourage or support them in their learning um, and all of those things. So that's just a really um, important way that we found one of um, the parts of my job that I get to do is go into each classroom um, every month or two and talk with all of the classrooms. We start the year this way as well. Um, but then I go in and talk with the students um, about who's in their classroom. Sometimes it's very specific about the students and their needs. Other times I know the kids that are in there, and it's not a situation where we're going to maybe say names or be super specific, but more a general conversation of maybe we know there's some um, behavior struggles that we can include in that conversation without naming somebody out front, but help the students to understand how would we respond in a situation like that. Um, one of the um, things we usually start with is the puzzle pieces for um, the beginning of the year as well, um, just to help get that framework for them by the time they get up into the upper elementary and middle school, they can probably teach it to the class themselves, right? Because they've heard it so many times and they can help educate others about that student. Um, but one of the other things that we often talk about is um, like keys, right? So we take a set of keys into the classroom and talk about how we all have our own key ring and we're all working on getting those keys of things that we're learning throughout our years. They're going to look different and we're going to get them at different times. Um, but just a nice visual for kids to kind of see like, oh yeah, they're working on their key for um, expressing themselves when they're upset. Or they're working on getting their key for um, getting the things out of their locker on their own, right? And so it gives them a way to phrase in a positive aspect of things that they're working on doing. They're working on learning it yet, right? It's not that they can't do it. It's still in progress and they're still working on getting that key on their key ring. Um, and talking with peers too, um, one time I was able to take in around Christmas time a set of Christmas lights, and I had um, one ball that I had taken out beforehand, and you know plugged them into the wall, and I said, "What do you notice? What do you think the first thing that they noticed was about that set of Christmas lights?" They weren't working, right? One of them wasn't working, and um, it's like so we had we're able to have a conversation of yeah, like this light's burned out, and that one's burned out, and that one's burned out, and that's what they noticed right away. What they didn't notice were all the lights that were working, right? And how often are we quick to notice all of the things that people can't do or the things that are hard for them, rather than thinking about, oh, look at all that is lit up, right? We're quick to notice the faults of people or things they struggle with. So just a way for the students to be like, yeah, you know what? Oftentimes in school settings, maybe individuals with varying needs, um, those struggles are more apparent in those settings. So for us to really think about, well, what are they able to do? And what are we noticing about individuals? And how are we communicating that with others? Um, most importantly, right, in terms of communicating, we all have to have the same plan, right? So it's important to make plans. But then it's important to change them, too, right? Your plans A through H or Z or wherever you get, right? On a day-to-day -day basis, maybe even. Um, I think one of the things that we found is just not being afraid to change those plans. Often we were like, but this is what we said we were going to do, and we had a big meeting about it, and everyone was on board, right? But it's not working. And not sticking with it 
past the point that you need to, right? Like, be flexible and be willing to change from the day to day. We heard some of those teachers talk about it too, right? Of, you know what, today was not a great day, so we're going to go to plan C instead today. And we're going to alter what our expectations were for today because we know that that's not where the student is. That's not what's going to work today. So being flexible and still communicating that within your team then, right? I always get frustrated when people say, you know, people ask you what you do for your, for your living, and I say, oh, I'm a special education teacher. And they say, oh, you must be very patient. patient. <laughs> and I don't know why it irritates me so bad, but it just does. It's just this assumption that, that maybe that group of people causes you a lot of stress, right? You have to be super patient with them. No, right? I think one of the most important things that I would love for them to say is, you must be really flexible, right? Being willing to change your plans kind of in the moment, make adjustments that you need to to keep things going. Um, along with that is that freedom to fail, right? And not um, being afraid to jump on um, the other side where you know what, this might not work, but we're going to give it a try. And I don't know how often I say that to people, like, it might not do anything, it might not work at all, but if we don't try, we won't know, right? And so we're going to have this chance where we're going to give it a shot, and we can learn from there. Um, oftentimes it comes with a lot of extra tools, right? And you can see we've got some things up on the table here as well. Um, some different materials, equipment that we have found. You know what? These things are helpful. We use them often with different students or just to have available for people. Um, so feel free to come and check this out afterwards as well. Um, but just a few things are some of like the, um, you know, the, the bookmarks here where you can um, highlight the for reading and some of the highlighter tape or the Um, and that will help them to grow in that area, right? So if they've got that 
need to chew. Let's try this jewelry instead of chewing on your shirt each day, right? Um, one, one thing that we have found teachers really appreciate too is just that opportunity for having multiple environments. So within our school, I have a classroom space that students are not home-based there. They don't keep their things in there, but they can use that as a space throughout the day if they need to. Maybe a spot to do um, some extra work, to have a quiet space, just to kind of pull away from all the stimulation in the classroom. Um, we often will ask teachers, too, to maybe create a calming space in their classroom that a student can go to if they need to so they can stay in that environment, but kind of just unplug for a while. We've had students before where it's, um, you know, one of those little pop-up tents that's in the corner of a classroom so they can go and hide for a little bit and just get away from things. Um, so just having options. Um, oftentimes we think, well, we don't have any more space in our school, right? There's no more rooms. But think creatively, creating a little corner in an environment where they could go. Um, just having that option to unplug or uh, have a spot to work through a situation if they need that option. Most importantly, you've got to remember you're not alone, right? To keep calm and um, you're not alone. There's lots of other people who have done this, right? CLC Network, many of you are connected with them, knowing that they have done a lot of this before or have those connections with different people too. What resources are out there? And tapping into the gifts of each member of your team, right? Um, and what can they bring to the table? Most importantly, emotionally as well. I was talking before Andy with um, a team and just knowing that uh, the, the emotional stress that can sometimes come with this sort of work, right? But knowing that we're going to work together as a team, we're going to stick together, knowing when you've got to tap out and let somebody else take over for a little bit and just using each other as resources in that way. Um, as part of that team, too, in the communication as well, make sure that you're including everyone, right? Think about, you know, some of these pictures, the custodian even, what can they do to help you? Maybe create different things or um, some of the different tools or uh, in your environment. Thinking about, um, you know, and we have one student who takes off when he's upset and running through the halls. Well, it would be important for that custodian to know, hey, if you see so-and-so running through the halls, can you please give me a call and let me know so that we can make sure we're safe and he's safe. And um, so making sure that thinking about the students you have in your building, the plans that they have in place, who all needs to have that information, and making sure that you're communicating any changes to those plans as well. Um, one story that I want to share as well, um, in connection with the school transformation. Um, so Barb mentioned this earlier, right? Who's in the inclusion program? Well, who would that be, right? Everyone. We're all included in this. It's not just the students who receive support services who are in the inclusion program. It's everybody. We're all benefiting from this. We're all involved in it. We're all a part of it. Um, I had, just this past week, a student who... Um, has been having a really tough time lately, and one of his peers um, decided that he um, wanted to help this student, and he's currently fascinated with flags, especially the Canadian flag. And so he um, talks about flags constantly, and probably was crossing the social boundary of asking this student, can you please buy me a flag? Can you please buy me a flag? You need to buy me a flag. Well, the one day, the student comes and says, Stones was bringing me a flag today. And I was like, oh goodness. <laughs> I really hope the student's bringing him a flag because he is set on this. If that flag does not come, it is going to be a really tough time. Um, sure enough, we were waiting for him at the door, and of course it's a few minutes late that day, so the stress is kind of building, and in walks that student, and he's carrying this flag for him. He had gone home one day and asked his mom if he could order him a flag um, so that he could help him, and he knew he was having a hard time at school, and mom right away knew this is my son's heart, this is how he wants to help, sure enough, we're going to order that flag. So in comes this two-foot by three-foot flag, Canadian flag, in a school, and that student has not ever stopped carrying it around since. It goes with them everywhere. We, of course, have to fold it up right on the line so how it came in the package as it goes throughout school, so we line it up and get it, um, and he carries it everywhere with him. But just that aspect of, I mean, the community, the parents knowing, the student knowing, you know what, this is going to help him because he's having a tough time. That student is learning way more um, than just math and reading and science and Bible in school because of this opportunity to have others to interact with. And, you know, my own children coming through the school now, too, it's like, that is what I want as a parent for my child. Yes, the academics are important, but I want them to learn how to respect other people, to think about what's important in life, and how we can connect with others as well. So you'll notice that when you're going through this, it can totally transform your school, right? Not just 
for these individuals who get to be a part of this community now, who are welcomed in and finally get that answer of yes, but it's for everyone. And I can't tell you how many times I've you know, had different situations happen of maybe a student getting kicked by another one as they're angry leaving the classroom or whatever it is, and I never get a phone call from the other parents, right? Because they know that this is part of a learning process, that we can work together, we can help educate one another, we can coach each other and learn from each other as well. And so this is a video from um, another Christian school that is doing inclusion and um, just a story of a student there as well. Living Stones Academy. Here we are. Everything about Ruby's diagnosis is challenging. Every year it's been a struggle and an unknowing. I just wanted her to be in a school where the bell rang and they all ran out to recess and then they all came in. Our big problem is that Ruby's never been invited into those types of environments. Ruby was born premature at 24 weeks and as a result of her prematurity, she has cerebral palsy. When her body tries to do something, her muscles overfire. So she is 100% dependent for all physical mobility and physical needs. She needs a lot of help. So we drive when Ruby's about a year to the University of Michigan to a neurologist, and this guy walks into this meeting. He says to Jody and I, your daughter will never walk, she'll never talk, and you're going to lose all your friends. Well, project forward, and she never walked. She never talked. And... We, we sit here because we've got new friends. The one thing that we see in this school with LSA is, is they didn't say no. And they didn't say no to the ramps. They didn't say no to recess. They didn't say no. And the most common response is, whoa, that's a problem. I don't know if we can do that. It's the rare side that they say, how can we help you make it work? Just that attitude is something that is different for us. The love comes first and everything else just gets figured out. The feeling that I have when she's here, it's, it's really easy is the best way to describe it. It's very normal and it's natural and it's just how God designed us to interact with each other. It's not complicated. I think one thing I notice about Ruby's classmates is they pick up on her subtleties. They'll watch her hand for a movement or they'll look at her to see if she'll smile or if her body might tighten up. They talk to Ruby as though Ruby is ready to talk back. And to me, that is the greatest inclusive aspect of the school. With or without disabilities, she's part of that class. She just gleams with excitement. She loves being here. Our start with Ruby going to see these neurologists when she was a year old, it was always negative. There was never anything that was joyful about it. This has been like this incredible ease. You know, the ramps aren't just for Ruby. It's going to help pave the way. But there's a little kid behind Ruby in a couple years that's going to benefit from the school's interest to be more inclusive. I just say inside, amen. It truly is a place where there's radical inclusion. Um, and in that aspect too of like, right, this might create an opportunity for other students 
down the road as well, that radical inclusion. So just a neat story as well. So I couldn't resist showing you two of my favorite things right now. Did you know that they make these time timers that fit into a whiteboard that actually has a place for markers and an eraser? So you could write down what that student has to accomplish as the time timer goes away. Is that not cool? Just a warning, if you order it, you have to order the marker board and the timer separately from timetimer.com. I found that out and I had to place a second one. The other, um, the other thing that I really like, it's from ChoiceWorks. It's an under $10 app, but it is one of the slickest ways in my book to build a, a schedule for somebody. And what I love about ChoiceWorks is that um, it speaks it to that individual, so it's quick to pull up the pictures, it speaks out the schedule, and they can swipe it over when it's done. Um, and so it's a really neat tool to have on an iPad or something similar like that. It's one of my favorites right now, too. Um, and if you work with younger kids, I love these parking spots because we always tell kids to sit on like the letter J or we tell them to sit on the, the, the small carpet square, but what happens to it once they sit down? It disappears. It is under them. Now most kids can picture that they are still on the letter J and other kids just don't. And so they lose their boundaries as soon as they are sitting down on that item. And I love these because they're large. You can also throw these, like if you've got kiddos that once you hit the large room, that's their signal to do like 62 laps. Um, these make a great thing to throw them on the floor and say, hey, everybody, find your parking spot. So um, I really like this one too. Anyway, and we went to an autism conference last week, and they had the coolest fidgets. You brought some along. So um, come on up and play. I'm partial to several of them. And I was in a church in Seattle uh, the other day. They had their fourth and fifth graders sew and stitch and bead quiet fidgets. And they throw them in the pews for people to have. But these were kids that sort of made their own. It was this cool piece of material that had a maze for two marbles on the inside of this thing. It was like, wow, way cool. So there you go, uh, favorites. If you can employ your kids to maybe make some things too, she's going to send me the, uh, the sewing pattern for that. I thought that's, that's a lot of fun. So uh, anyway, those are a few things that we're excited about. And where did you get this? This was at Menards? Yeah. It was this like is the like Black Friday deal. Of the like microwavable ones, mm -hmm. but it's it got all the beads in it, so it's heavy. So it was like five dollars and works great as a weighted animal. Mm -hmm. Five dollars, they're like 47 if you order weighted lab things, right? Good deal, save big money at McDonald's, right? <laughs> so, just wanted to, to finish by encouraging uh, one other thing, and that is the word notice. Uh, you know, when you have individuals where it's easy to notice the lights out. I love that example. Instead of all the lights that are working well in the Christmas string, um, I think we have to all learn to shift our eyes and to begin to focus on you know, asking the right questions. And instead of what can this person do, what can this person do? And how can we use those skills? You know, an eye gaze computer, seriously? But the question you ask is, what does this person have voluntary control over? Oh, her eyes. She literally can look at something very meaningfully. We've got something to work with now. And I think, uh, as, especially as you would include some individuals that might have some pretty significant areas uh, that require support, asking the right question is really important. What can this person do? And I just want to encourage you to bank up your stories. So if I ask Tom, as I shouldn't keep picking on you, Tom, but I, you're there you are sitting there. Our first year, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, we just included kids with disabilities in our building, and then things would happen, and then we would run to the teacher's lounge and say, uh, I just had a third grade student who's starting to develop who just took her shirt off in class because she was hot. What do we do? Like, that's a really good question, right? And so there's this team of people that just has to quickly try to figure it out, and I think one of the things that we uh, delighted in was being able to have a strong team. Sometimes, you know, the, the classroom um, individuals in the classroom had the best ideas, and uh, we really knew that if this was not one person's program or situation to own, um, the most beautiful stories for Stacy and I think happened last year, it was important that we raise a significant amount of money because we had, for the very first time, need for a sign language interpreter. That is expensive, folks. 
uh, and were unable to get the public school to kick in any support for that one, so we were on our own. And so the church came in, and the school came in, the parents came in. It was this beautiful, reformed, three-legged school thing going on, right? And um, they put on this fundraiser, and we showed up, not because they asked us to pray or organize one thing. The sixth grade teachers owned it, the parents owned it, the church owned it. We figured we should maybe show up. We didn't own that at all. That student was a sixth grader. That student was staying because it was the sixth grade that owned the situation. I just love that. Um, the truth is, we could walk out and hey, maybe we should go on a trip together somewhere. Whatever. Um, things would just continue because it's owned by the fabric of the school. It's really cool. So tell your stories. Imagine your stories. What did you see uh, in that individual with a disability? What did you see in the peer that was next to that student? What did you see uh, as a teacher that you grew in some way because you had that student as part of your group? What happened? What are the stories? What is God doing? Why on earth would God have us do something that some days can be sort of hard if he doesn't give us that opportunity to say, this is why it was so good. I thought it was be easy, but it's right. So I want to tell you a story. Some of you know pieces of this story. But this is mine because I believe on this day God let me see the top of the mountain. Um, the big picture of inclusive education. The reason why get up in the morning and love to come and do what I do, contribute to that picture every day. And so uh, if you've heard the parts of the story, hang in there, because this is mine. Sometimes it, it, you get tired a little bit, right? And you wonder what's going on. But uh, this is my story, and it will encourage you to look for your stories in your community. Some of you own this story with me. Um, this is Adam. Adam was born, uh, and the uh, parents were told by the doctor, I think you should put it uh, somewhere else. It will ruin your life. Uh, you should not take it home and I will find a place for it. It will never have friends and it certainly won't grow and learn to do much of anything. So carry on with your life. I'll find a different place for it. Yes, that happened. And the nurses uh, decided to uninvite them from the happy family. We had a baby dinner and delivered the meal to their room instead because certainly they wouldn't want to be by the happy families. This is a pretty strong-natured dad, as some of us know, sitting in this room, and he looked at that doctor and he said, you know what, uh, his name is Adam, he is my son, and we are taking him home. As for you, I don't want you anywhere near him ever again. Group, but you know what, their desire for community was very hard to find. They looked and they looked and they looked, and they kept being sent away to special this and the special that and the special this. Even churches, they couldn't find a place to go. One of the most inclusive places was the Jewish synagogue where the rabbi lifted up Adam as a baby and said, This, this is a blessing from God. And they passed Adam around and they all had a chance to hold him. But they didn't happen to be Jewish and they didn't end up finding a wonderful uh, Christian uh, church to belong to. Uh, and you know what? I think of all the people in this picture, Adam and Jetta knew God the best. David really struggled to know how God fit into the picture, especially since so many roadblocks were in the way of the one thing that he wanted for his son, a place where he could learn from others uh, who are his age and are sort of typical in their development and a place where, um, where Adam could share his gifts with those individuals too. So he was pretty ticked one day after he got kicked out of the final thing and more doors slammed shut. He goes driving around, probably having quite an interesting conversation with God on that day. Uh, and he ended up, looked up, and there he is in front of Zealand Christian School. Like, seriously? This is really going to work. But he went in the doors thinking maybe that was God's answer. I met our administrator at the time who heard his story short and said, sure, when you want him to start, Adam can come here. So he did. And uh, Adam was bold personality plus. Uh, he also knew some words that some of the kids in Zero Christian had not yet heard. <laughs> he was willing to share those, especially one time on Grandparents Day when they just came flying out of his mouth. Uh, but it's so cool when you belong because kids know you. And they quickly leaned over to their grandparents and said, you know what, there are too many people in here. It's hot. He's getting frustrated. One of us will take him for a walk and then we'll be back. So it was just this amazing community. Adam went on to high school where he was plugged into the football team at Holland Christian High School. And man, they had a good football team at the time. Uh, they had a, a team that was truly astounding, and Adam was very much a part of it. In fact, 
later on at his best man in one of those uh, guys' wedding. Uh, and that particular individual built an apartment downstairs for Adam, figuring that someday Adam would live with him and his wife. Um, that never happened because Adam, at the age of 30, got cancer. Uh, and um, as it was getting towards his later days, his dad called me. His mother had already passed away from cancer. And um, his dad knew that it's coming. And he said, would you be willing, Barbara Newman, to run the memorial service for Adam? And I said, no way. I'm way too emotional. That is not me, and I'm not a pastor. He said, no, 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 we're doing the church thing, too. But we really want one for Adam's friends, of all abilities, to say, you know, Thank you for Adam. Uh, we, we ask God why and ask God for help, but could we do that in a way that's sort of a multi-sensory experience? So um, I finally agreed, but you know, I'm so glad I did because it was on that day that I think I got a glimpse into some of the most amazing things. I got a chance to see the big picture of what we work for so hard on the days when we know it's right, but it's hard, you know? I got a chance to see that because we were expecting about 100 people there were over 500 people who showed up. Do you know that everybody who took that microphone that day didn't say anything about Adam having Down syndrome or autism? They all commented about what Adam had done for them and how they were different people because Adam was in their life. And I thought, oh, doctor, I wish you could be in this room. I wish you could hear 500 friends whose lives had changed and had been groomed because that family had the guts to say to that doctor, we are taking our son at home with us. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed. They found those places, and sure enough, Adam's fingerprints are on a lot of different people. His dad wrote a book called I Choose Adam. You can check it out at the CLC Network table along with other resources if you're interested. But I think one of the most beautiful things that I realized is <clears throat> confirming what our former director, Bear Barrett, used to say. Your schools will still have the same number of of individuals who are doctors and small business owners. They'll still have the same number of people who are the lawyers in the community and the same number of people who might actually be like famous quarterbacks, um, like your cousins, right? Uh, that might be what your school will have out there. But imagine the kind of hearts and character they will have as they go out into the world. It's not just about the one. It's about the whole. And it's about the beauty that we can instill in everybody who's part of it. That story belongs to some of us in this room. But I know that there are stories that God is telling in your community. And I think we need chances to share those and delight in what it looks like when our schools become living, breathing pictures of 1 Corinthians 12, one body, together in Christ. Would you agree? All right. We'll stick around if you want to see some things, but I'd love to close us in prayer and just ask for God's blessing over your community and um, what's happening. Lord, we thank you for those mountaintop experiences where we can get a glimpse of the power of that one decision parents made with a little boy named Adam and the number of lives you impacted through him. Lord, I look at these people gathered here and I know you have placed them in positions where hundreds, thousands of people's lives are changed and have these individuals' fingerprints on their lives because of their passions and where you've placed them. And I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes to stories. Stories of what happens when we live in communities that are built on your blueprint. Your blueprint of saying each one is to be honored, important, and to be considered an indispensable member of my body. Lord, give us vision to do that. Give us stamina to do that. Give us flexibility. And even some days, Lord, yes, patience. But I pray that you will accompany us back to our communities where you want to tell your story through our, our schools and our staffs and through us. We invite you to do that work in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great rest of your day. Come check us out.